Hey, we're walking through this series on the Lord's Prayer. And today we come to that part where we say, God, forgive us. Forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. That there is a relationship. You ready? This may not be good news for you. There is a relationship between how you forgive others and your ability to receive forgiveness. There is a dynamic between your ability to receive forgiveness from God, it's going to show up in the way you relate to others, and here's the, the clincher for me, even in the way you relate to yourself. If you don't forgive yourself, if you're constantly putting yourself on the dock, if you're constantly holding that, that moment up, that experience up where you failed, you're not going to be able to forgive others the way that God wants us to forgive. Because in this passage, as we walk through it, he says, forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. You know, forgiveness is something that releases us. It brings healing. It, it sets the captive free. But the opposite of that is because forgiveness frees, unforgiveness binds. Unforgiveness enslaves us. And what we're going to discover, it actually begins to twist us. And it begins to change us, change us from the inside out, change the way we see God. It changes the way you see yourself, and it changes what you do. That what Jesus is going to say, the problem with forgiveness is not so much about what you do. The problem with forgiveness is about what you believe about God. Let me say that again. The issue with forgiveness, if you struggle to forgive yourself, to forgive someone else, the issue is not about obedience. I want you to understand that. The issue is about an unbelief in who God is, that we don't fundamentally believe that God has lavishly forgiven us. We haven't experienced that forgiveness, and therefore, we can't give to others what we ourselves haven't received. Because Jesus always says, forgive others as you have been forgiven. So if you don't know the depths of your forgiveness, if you haven't experienced that lavishly from God and sat in that place of forgiveness, you're not gonna have the resources to forgive others the way that God wants us to forgive. You with me? So let's jump into this in Matthew chapter six. You wanna grab a Bible, open your phone, turn on your phone, however that works. Wow, what was that? Something changed there. We're doing some work in the back. It's all right. Matthew chapter six, and uh, pick it up in verse nine. Or, I'm sorry, verse five. Matthew, am I safe? It's a little boomy there. Matthew chapter six, verse five. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases that the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, those last words, they're a little strong, aren't they? I got to be honest, I don't like it. I don't like it because I don't like what it says about me. And I'm a little afraid when I look at those words and it says, if I do not forgive, my heavenly father will not forgive me. Now, some of us go, wait a minute. I thought we were saved by grace. Come on, pastor. Where's the grace, right? We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. But there's a, a dynamic when it comes to forgiveness that reveals whether we're saved or believe we're saved by works or by faith. That nothing reveals fundamentally how we approach God than the way we forgive. Because see, if you're holding something against someone, and if you're holding something against someone, it could be yourself, it could be God, it could be someone else. If you're holding something against them and you're unwilling to forgive them, it's saying to God as a Christian, God, I must be better than them. God, I must approach you in a way where you must accept me because of what I've done because I'm not seeing myself on a level playing field with this person. And so when we refuse to forgive, it says fundamentally, I think God loves me because I do it right. Or I think God accepts me because I have it right. And what he's addressing there is not so much just what we do, but what we believe. Because see, what you believe about God and what you believe about forgiveness, it always shows up in what you do. And so ask yourself, when it comes to the way you forgive, or when it comes to your ability, and I think this is hard for me, to ask someone for forgiveness. Now, those of you that are good at that, I marvel at your ability. I mean, I absolutely do. At people's ability to go to someone else and say, hey, this is what I did. And sometimes they'll tell me this before they, I've even realized they've done something. Aren't those good people? Those are amazing. The kind of person that can go to you and say, hey, listen, I've been holding something against you and you had no idea. Hey, that is a heart of freedom. That someone's able to come up and say, I've got to release this. I've got to let you go because I know if I don't, it's only going to distort me. Well, what that reveals is that we really have this concept of our belief in God and what God has done. That God is forgiving. And because he's forgiving and he's forgiven us, therefore, I am one who has been forgiven. And therefore, my life should be lived as a life of forgiveness. So let's jump into this, ask a couple questions. First of all, what is the problem with unforgiveness? What is the process of forgiveness? And then finally, where does the power to forgive come from? So let's jump in first. What is the problem with being unforgiven or holding on to bitterness? So actually, I wanna jump to Luke chapter 17. If you have a Bible, you can go there. We'll also put that up on the screen. But in Luke chapter 17, verse three, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's talking about when they're walking through situations in life in which they fall into sin or into brokenness. He says this in verse three, and listen to what he says. Luke 17, three, pay attention to yourselves. For if your brother sins, rebuke him. But if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive him. Then the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith, meaning are you serious? 
See what he's saying? How honest is that? Okay, so someone has wronged me seven times in a day. How many times, Jesus, should I forgive them? Hey, at least seven times. If they come to you seven times, you must forgive them. And what do they say? I can't do it. And, and you know, in other places, Jesus says, Peter comes up and he says, hey, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Just seven times, right? Just, just seven, right? There's a limit. We're only going to go to seven because, see, that was the law of the day. The religious leaders said, yeah, anything above seven, that's too much. That's going just a little too far. No, Jesus said, not seven times, Peter. Here's my admonition to you. I want you to forgive 77 times, which you can just write the little infinity right there. That's what that means. There is no limit on the forgiveness that we give others. So notice in verse 3, what does he say? Hey, something bad has happened to you. Where should your attention be? Verse 3. On yourself. What does he say? Pay attention to yourself when someone wrongs you. Why? Because I love me to pay some attention to you. When you wrong me, man, my, my mind, my emotions, my will, my thought loves to zero in and target the person who has wronged me. And I love to focus on them. And see, Jesus is constantly saying when you're wronged, that's the time to be aware. That's the time to take care and focus on yourself. He said it this way, right? Hey, before you go and address the speck in your brother's eye, you need to start identifying the plank that's coming out of your own eye. Because see, if you don't address the plank, you're not going to have the ability to address the speck. And when someone wrongs you, he's saying, we need to first pay attention to ourselves because here's the idea. Unforgiveness is hard to identify in yourself. It's subterranean. It's hard to see in yourself, but you're going to see the evidence of it. And a lot of you see that in each other, right? My wife saw it in me for many years. She would tell me, she'd say this. She'd say, you know, Jason, you're bitter. And I said, come on. I'm a pastor. I can't be bitter, right? It's my profession to forgive. And she would say to me, I'm watching your life. I'm, I'm listening to your words. You're bitter. And it took years. I'm telling you, it took years and years for me to see it because my wife, she could see the evidence. But unforgiveness, bitterness, it's a root. It's subterranean. It goes deep below the surface. And Jesus is saying, you never know how angry you are. You're never quite as sure how angry and bitter you are at what others have done to you. So pay attention to yourself. Now, here's how the writer of Hebrews captures it. Listen to this. Hebrews 12, 15. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now, how do we fail to obtain the grace of God? See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, it may defile many. Notice how he describes bitterness. It's subterranean, which means you don't see it. You can cut the tree down in your front yard, but if you don't attack the roots, it's going to come back up. And in our lives, what happens is when someone wrongs you, the stuff that comes out, that's the evidence of what's in. Often we want to blame people. Hey, the reason I did that, I had no choice, you see? Isn't that how we say it? I couldn't help myself. What are you doing? You're ignoring the fact that there is this root in your life, and you're blaming all the little saplings on what other people have done instead of saying, as Jesus does, pay attention to yourself. 
You know, it's interesting in the English language, if you go back and you study some of the root words from which um, our English words come from in the Anglo-Saxon origin, you'll discover the word wrath and the word wreath, like a Christmas wreath, they have the same origin. You see, to have a wreath is to be twisted. You take some garland, you twist it, you make it into a, a wreath. Well, to have wrath, wrath means to twist. It, it, and that's what wrath does to us. It begins to distort us to the point that we become not a wreath, not wrath. We become a, you ready for this? You become a wraith. You heard that word? I only know that word because of the Lord of the Rings. You know, I kind of go back to that storyline. You see the wraiths. What are wraiths? Wraiths are spirits that can't let go of the past. If you ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense, I'm not encouraging that. I'm not saying I've watched it. I heard about it. Someone told me. Sorry. Right in that movie, what happens? There are these wraiths, and they cannot let go of what's happened to them. They have to constantly relive the past, and they are trapped in a period of time in their future, and their life is determined by what's happened. That's wrath. Wrath doesn't hurt others as much as it begins to twist you, and you become stuck in a moment in life, in an experience of life, and you can't move forward. And here's what happens. Every time something happens to you, you're bringing the past into the present and assuming that what this person's doing to me, it's the same thing that happened to me in my past. And yet it may have nothing to do with what's going on in the present. Are you with me on that? Something ha- somebody wrongs you, and what you do is you bring the past into the present, and you say, hey, because this happened back then, this is happening now, and therefore, this is who I am. That we often identify ourselves either through what we have done or through what others have done to us. That leads to wrath, and in the end, it turns us into a wraith. It turns us into a restless spirit that's unable to let go. You see what bitterness does? It enslaves. And my testimony is a testimony of enslavement. I was that person that walked in bitterness for years and years. My wife would tell me, you know, our wives, they're so good. She was patient. She loved me. She said, Jason, you've got to address it. And I got to tell you, the first person that tried to address it, here's what happened. He said to me, Jason, you're bitter. And I said, that sounds familiar. Because I remember my wife telling me that. And then you know what I did? You ready for this? And I was a pastor. I got angry at him. How dare you? How dare you walk into my life and say, you can see what's going on. You know what that is? That's a sapling. It's called bitterness. And I was taking it out on him because, see, I didn't want to admit. I didn't want to admit just how angry and hurt I was from things that were going on in my past. When unforgiveness is allowed to take root, it distorts your relationships. It distorts the way you see God. It distorts the way you see yourself. And it will direct the way that you live your life. There is nothing more powerful. You know, if you talk to a counselor, they will tell you. When someone comes into their office, they know that most of the problems that people deal with have to do with bitterness. They cannot forgive themselves. There's shame and guilt in their life, and they're trying to overcome that by medicating themselves, you know, eating instead of feeling my feelings, buying stuff, being successful, whatever it is. We all have it. Or on the other hand, we're angry at someone and we're unwilling to let them go. You know, John Stott in his book, um, Confess your sins. He, uh, he was talking about this. 
and he spoke to a, the head of a large English mental hospital. And this, uh, this director said this, he said, I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of forgiveness today. How many of us are restless because of what has happened in the past? So why do we need to let go? Because unforgiveness, it destroys us. Now, what is this process of forgiveness? Notice if you jump uh, back into the text in, in Matthew 6, he says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Here's the first idea. When somebody wrongs you, you've got to realize everybody's a debtor. That when someone wrongs me, we're starting on level ground. When someone often wrongs us, what happens is we do this. I'm up here, you're down here. I would never do what you did. And what he's saying is the first thing we have to do when someone wrongs us is we have to identify with that person. And we've got to realize I'm a debtor, you're a debtor. Wouldn't you like to be a debtor too? Sorry. I don't know. We're debtors. We are on the same level playing ground before the cross. And what they have done to me, maybe I wouldn't do it that way, but there's an aspect of what they've done that I've done. And there certainly is an aspect as Christians of what they have done to me that I have absolutely done to God. And we have to see ourselves rightly. Again, the problem with bitterness is it causes us not to see God rightly. And the reason we don't seek forgiveness and give forgiveness is we don't see God rightly. And we don't have a lot of time to get into it, but I would ask you to go to Luke 15 and look at the story of God displayed in the parable of the prodigal son. Because see, in the parable of the prodigal son, you see God's attitude towards forgiveness and those who have sinned. He longs to run to you, to embrace you, to cleanse you and forgive you, but that's not the view we have of God. Because see, if you had that view of God, you wouldn't hold on to bitterness towards someone else, would you? Because if that's really your experience and God had done that to you, there would be nothing you couldn't let go. Now, hey, it's difficult to let it go. It's not easy to let it go. But when you have a father that's done that for you and poured out that kind of lavish grace in your life, you now have a resource to let it go. The problem isn't simply what they did. The problem is that we don't see God rightly. And until we admit it, God, hey, I'm not forgiven because I don't see you. We can't address the root. God, I need to see you for who you are. So the first step we've got to do is we've got to, we've got to identify with a person who has hurt us. Hey, there's a theologian um, named Miroslav Volf, and he captured forgiveness like this in his book, A Spacious Heart. He says, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. That's too true. <laughs> I exclude my enemy from the community of human beings and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. So therefore, I have a right to destroy you. Paul says, do not provoke and do not envy. Provoking is when I feel my, I'm better than you Envy is when I feel I am less than you. He's saying, in Christ, we are on level ground. So the first thing we've got to do is we've got to address the plank in our eye and identify with the person who's wronged us. Now, second, once we've identified with the person who's wronged us, and here's the hard part, you ready? You got to pay the debt. 
you've got to learn to pay, not the external debt, because that's justice. When someone does something to us, there's an element of justice. But if you don't pay the internal debt, you won't be seeking justice. You will be going after vengeance. And you need to hear me on that, because I've done that. And I, didn't, I thought, I told myself, I'm going for justice. That's all I want, right? I just wanted justice. Did a little ju- I went a little bit beyond justice. And what I went to was punishment. What punishment is, is I want to hurt you for what you've done to me. Discipline, discipline is I want to correct someone so that they become better. Punishment is I want to hurt you to the extent that you have hurt me. And if you don't first address the internal debt, you're not able to pursue justice. You need to let go of the justice button until you allow God to address the eternal debt. Now, what do I mean by that? When you say forgiveness, he says, forgive us our debts. So he's using forgiveness in terms of an economic debt. Because when someone wrongs you and they come to you, maybe you've said this, hey, you owe me. And you may not say it to them, but you're thinking inside, I've been patient, I've been kind, buddy, you owe me. There is a debt of pain. There is a debt of rejection. There is a debt of sad. There's some debt. Now, I'm not sure what that is for you, but each one of us has a different kind of debt. There is something that that person's action has caused you to feel, and this little sapling's coming out of the ground, and you want to blame them for what you feel. You with me on that? My counselor had to say to me, Jason, the reason you express things like that is because that's what's in there. Nothing comes out of you except for what is already there. Why? How can you blame someone else for the way you respond? That, what he's saying is pay attention to yourself. There is a debt. Now, how do you pay down the debt? I'll tell you how we pay down the debt today. We make fun of people. That's how you pay down the debt. Every time you think of that person, you say, gosh, I'm so glad I'm not that person. What a rotten human being. Have you met her? I mean, really, what kind of person does something like that? Do you feel that? Am I, am I getting too close to home? Right? We look at someone else and we see them and we do this. We caricature them. Have you ever taken a, gone to a carnival, fair, something like that, wedding sometimes? Someone will draw that picture of you. What do they love to do, right? They love to take that one feature on your face. You know it's there. And they take that one feature and what they do is they enlarge it, right? So if you've got a little oversized ears, they make them Dumbo ears. Got a little larger nose than your face or smaller, whatever it is, mouth too small, eyes too, well, I don't know what it is. All of us got a little bit of something. They take that one feature and what they do is they kind of blow it up. And see, that's what we do when somebody wrongs us. We make them one-dimensional. We put them on a flat piece of paper, and we say, you lied, you're a liar. You hurt me, you're evil. And we take them to a place that we can diminish them down to what they have done. But if you do that to someone else, what do you do? Well, there were circumstances. I had a bad day. My car broke down. We have a lot of grace for ourselves, But we first have to address what's going on and pay down the debt. Does that make sense? Now, how do you do that? Here's the harder part. Jesus says you do not overcome evil with evil. Because, see, if you take evil and you attack evil with evil, evil says, great, this is awesome. Thank you for building up evil. 
He says, instead, do not overcome evil with evil. Overcome evil with good. How did Jesus win our salvation? By overcoming evil with good. Why do we think that if I attack evil with evil, something good's going to come out? I mean, haven't we learned? It's like, how many years have we been doing this? And that's why he says, again, Luke 17, pay attention to yourself. We are self-deceived when it comes to how we've been hurt. And so what we have to do is we need to begin to speak well of that person. Because that's hard to do, right? What did Jesus say? Pray for your enemies. I thought I was supposed to pray for my family, right? I have a hard enough time praying for the people I love. Jesus, you want me to, why would you want me to pray for my enemies? Because when you do, you're paying down the debt and it's not turning you into a wraith. You're paying down the debt and you're not seeking vengeance. You're paying down, every time you speak well of them, what's happening is the debt's going down. You're paying it down. Now, it takes some time. It takes a lot of time, but you're paying it down. And you're paying it down over time. And every time you refuse to curse them, every time you refuse to speak poorly of them, every time you hold back and say, you know what? I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to use evil against evil because then evil's just going to win. And it's going to warp me from the inside. Instead, I'm going to overcome evil with good. I'm going to choose to say something that blesses them. That's counterintuitive. But see, that is a life that flourishes in the kingdom of God. See, what what are we talking about? This isn't about being self-help. It's not about just having a better life now. It's life in the kingdom of God. Because the Sermon on the Mount is about, hey, if God came and he showed up and he brought his peace on earth, goodwill towards men, if that was there, what would it look like? It would look like us blessing those who curse you. Because see, the point is it's not about you. That's a hard point to overcome. Because often that's our life. We're tell- it's about me. It's about me. It's a- my pain's about me. It's not about you. We have the joy of reflecting what Jesus has done in the way that we treat those that have hurt us. Because where does the gospel show up the most? Where do we have to rely on the power of God the most? We have to rely on the power of God when someone has hurt us and we feel that pain. And instead of relying on our natural energies, instead of allowing the bitterness to grow out of us, we say, No, we repent. That's what that is, to turn and say, God, I can't do this, but I know you're forgiving. I know you've forgiven me, and I know I'm forgiven, and therefore I need to learn to forgive others. You see the process? Identify with them. Identify the debt. You've got to find out what debt has been caused. And then after that, you've got to start speaking well of that person, thinking well. Otherwise, it's just going to twist you. And some people say, but what if they never ask for forgiveness? It's not about them. You know, we cannot love others unless we learn to love ourselves. You know, the person I had the hardest time forgiving, I had no idea. It was me. I had the hardest time. And I always wondered, why was I being so judgmental? You know why I was so judgmental? Because when you're constantly picking on yourself, you're going to pick on others. When you're constantly seeing how you failed and you're tearing yourself down, you're going to see with this blinding flash of the obvious where everybody's failing you and you're going to constantly address it. If that's you, that is the ultimate sign that you need to forgive yourself. And for some of us, you know who you need to forgive? Some of us need to forgive God. That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? But the reality is many of us are holding on to things we don't realize 
our problem is with God. God, you allowed this to happen. God, how could you do that? How could you? And you need to address that with God, which means you need to start by addressing the debt, and you need to start speaking well and asking him, Father, what happened? Tell me the truth about this situation. I need to get you off the dock. Are you with me on that? Now, how do we do this? And just quickly, how do we do this? You know, there's a story, and we could go to it, but there's a story about the unforgiving servant. Have you heard that story? This guy owed like seven billion trillion, something like that, dollars. And this king goes to him, and he says, hey, I'm gonna, you know, pay it back. And he said, I can't pay it back. And see, there's only two options back in the day. He didn't have bankruptcy. You know, I declare bankruptcy. That's it. It's over. No, you either became a slave or you went to prison. That was the option. And so here's this guy that owes this huge debt, and the king forgives him. And so what does he do? Out of this wealth of forgiveness, he goes and beats someone up that owes him 50 bucks. And and the idea of the story is to the degree you've been forgiven, to that degree you're going to forgive. There's another story about a prostitute washing Jesus' feet. You remember that story? Simon, the Pharisee, looking at this going, what, how would you let her do this? And, you know, he said to Simon, you know, those who have been forgiven little, Simon, they love little. But you know what? She knows she's been forgiven much, and she loves much. The degree to which you have been forgiven, to that degree you will forgive, which means you need to stop focusing on the person, stop focusing on the wrong, and start focusing on the wrong you've done to God. Christianity is the only religion that never leads to vengeance. Because God on the cross, instead of giving us vengeance, Jesus said, Father, they don't know what they're doing. How many of us would say that to the person that hurt us? There's no way. That's not where we start, right? We say they knew exactly what they're doing. Here's what you've got to do. Remember when I said you've got to say something good? You need to take the words of Jesus. You need to think about that person. Father, they don't know what they did. They don't know. You've got to put them in the same place that God puts you. Isn't that fair? If God was willing to say to you, hey, I'm not going to count it against them. Instead, I'm going to die on the cross. The only thing that I need from you is a little humility to admit you need this. We have to say to those that have hurt us, Father, They don't know. Because see, listen, if they knew the Father, they wouldn't have done it. If they were in the kingdom, they wouldn't have done it. There's a reality of sin, and that sin has brought death into their life. And death is not just eternal death. Death is what you see in life. Death is the relationships we see. Death is the culture. Death is what's happening in politics. That's death. That things are broken because we hold on to things, and we want to get back what we have lost. Are you with me? Church, we have to look to Jesus and say, What I have done to you is far worse than what they have done to me. Father, help me to see how much you've forgiven me. Help me to rest in that and see to the the degree your heart can come alive to that. Emotionally, in your will, in your intellect, you're going to be able to forgive others. But if you just say, hey, God, you forgave me, thanks, it's not going to work. Because I'll tell you, you're replaying that pain emotionally, intellectually, in every aspect of life. And you've got to allow the grace of God to do the same. Because in Hebrews, he says, if we reject the grace of God, that's when the root of bitterness takes root. You with me? Hey, I don't know where you are. And I know a lot of things have happened 
you know, to many of us. And so I don't want to minimize those pains. It is difficult and it is hard. But the reality is it, it is freedom. And it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So let us stand firm in that. Hey, today as we uh, conclude our service, we're going to celebrate communion. And here's what I want to encourage you to do as we, um, as we pray. I just want you to ask the Spirit of God and say, create in me a clean heart, which means show me the aspects of my life where there is a root that needs to be addressed. And here's the reality. If you ask that of God, God answers the request that are according to his will. He wants to show it to you. He wants you to see the areas of your life that need to change. But would you simply be willing to say, Father, I know I need to be forgiven. And I know I need to let others go. So would you show me that aspect of my life where I'm holding on to something that doesn't belong to me? And Lord, would you enable me now to begin to address it and bring it to you? Here's what I want to do. Uh, we're going to celebrate communion. So those of you who are going to serve communion, would you come on up and take your spot? The way we um, experience communion at Bergen Park is we encourage you to take that time to reflect. And when the time is right, you can come forward to one of these stations They'll hand you the bread or you'll take the bread and they'll say, this is my body which is broken for you. And then you'll dip that bread into the cup and this is his blood which was shed for you. And we do this recognizing the death of Jesus which has restored us. Hey, also, I know some of you may be gluten-free. We got that now, all right? Yes, because we love everybody. We love all the church. You can go to the back and there's a station there that doesn't have any of the bad stuff around the good stuff. But before we do that, let me pray for us. And then on your own time, please come forward and let's celebrate what God's done. Let's pray. Father, I'm reminded of Paul's words in Ephesians. He says, uh, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. But how? How? Just as God loved us and gave himself up for us. Father, forgive us that we focus so much on the command to forgive that we don't rest in the promise that we're forgiven. And Father, we beat ourselves up with your own commands. We go to them, we look at them, we say, why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? And you constantly remind us that we only can forgive if we've been forgiven. And we can only forgive to the degree we've been forgiven. So for some of us, we need to admit we're sinners. And we need to stop playing the charade that I'm not that bad that I need to look at the cross and recognize my sin is bad enough that it led Jesus to the cross and the wrath of God descending on him. I need to own my own condition, and I need to see myself as you did. And for, for some of us, Father, on the other side, we're so self-condemned that we need to see the love of God, that Jesus, you loved us so much, you were willing to die for us. Wherever we are, Spirit, would you minister to us and heal us? And as we experience communion, would you set the captive free? Whether that's us or someone else, Lord, would you do a work in our life so that we might celebrate and be a reflection of the kingdom of God. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's celebrate communion together.